name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> and the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. This word, wilderness, is not only important for us today, but these next 40 days of Lent uh, that we have just entered into are, uh, you know, commemorating the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness. So it's worth asking, what wilderness? What is the wilderness? Well, in his context, it was the desert. The wilderness was another word for that place where biological and human life cannot really be sustained, where other sources of life dry up. But for those of us who do not live in a desert, but actually live in a physical wilderness, perhaps we could simply uh, call it like it is. America is a wilderness. I was struck by this. A friend uh, sent in a, a piece about um, uh, how the pilgrims actually viewed America when they arrived here. The pilgrims, when they left England in the 1630s, they saw themselves as on an errand in the wilderness. And when you arrive in America, if you've been to England recently, you know that they're just, it's been cleared. <laughs> there's not that many trees there. Uh, all the fields have stone walls and there's hedgerows, but there's not vast forests like there are here. And so when the Puritans came to America, what they saw was a wilderness. And it was a harsh wilderness, make no mistake. I was reading some uh, of the sources describing the new world wilderness as, quote, dark, desolate, horrible, howling, squalid, vast, and wretched. So clearly, they weren't in the Shenandoah Valley. They were up in Massachusetts. You know, if you've been there, you know. It's, it's a little rougher up there. They felt as though the wilderness were assaulting them at times. And yet they had the vocabulary for dealing with their new environment because they understood it as their spiritual condition as well. They had a language with which to articulate dislocation. In fact, none other than Cotton Mather, the famous historian and Boston minister in the 17th century, invoked the phrase, our wilderness condition, to describe life not only in America, in the New World, but life on earth. He defined it as a condition of wants, deep distresses, and most deadly dangers. So, the wilderness, the wilderness condition is simply what it means to be alive. To live in the wilderness condition is to live with a sense of perpetual estrangement, loss, disruption, exhaustion, anxiety, Fear, confusion, grief, and loneliness. Now those are heavy words, but this is Lent. You have permission to look them in the face, to use words like that to describe the wilderness in which you live. So maybe you can relate. These, these are words that we don't have to look to the Bible or to the Puritans for. You can simply look to the headlines to ask, you know, when Elmo asks the universe how they're doing, people aren't doing that well. Grieving, lost, disrupted, exhausted, anxious, afraid, confused. 
I'm referring to Elmo asked all of Twitter how they were doing last week, and it was basically a dumpster fire of what he received in return. But maybe you can relate. Maybe you're at a point in your life where you think, I, I thought this was going to be smoother. I thought life was going to be easier than what it has turned out to be. I thought, I thought if I'm a Christian, I thought my faith would ensure an easier way. Well, if these words resonate with your heart, well then welcome to the wilderness, which is to say welcome to Lent. My experience of people is that you scratch the surface and you find out exactly what type of wilderness they're living in. There's not a single person who is not, in some sense, in the wilderness right now or about to be. And if that's true, well, what it means is that you are not alone in the wilderness. As lonely as it may seem, this is where we all are. And not just us in the wilderness, but Jesus too. He's not on the other side of the wilderness condition. He's right there in the middle of it. And that's my first point. We're all in the wilderness, not just during these 40 days, but during these 365 days. But the second point is that the devil does not lure Jesus out into the desert, into the wilderness, nor did other people. He wasn't, once he was there, he was tempted, but he wasn't sent there as a punishment or as a test. No, he was sent there by the Spirit. This is very clear. And it's the same thing that happens in Exodus, by the way, when the Israelites are wandering the desert in the wilderness for 40 years. It's God who leads them there. God takes them into the wilderness. The language we, we find here in Mark, uh, it says the Spirit drove him out immediately. This is exorcism language. It's meant to underscore the forcefulness of it. It's the same phrase that's used in the Bible when Adam and Eve are driven out of the Garden of Eden. Jesus is ejected. He's propelled. He's thrown like a baseball out there. And it's a little dissonant, right? Because don't we pray every single week in this church, Lord, lead us not into temptation? But it's the Lord, it's the Spirit of God who is leading Jesus directly there. And in doing so, Jesus is entering not only the wilderness of the first century, he's entering the fullness of the human experience. And by the way, the timing is not arbitrary here. The sentence, the verse before he's driven out into the wilderness, he hears that beautiful proclamation from the sky. You are my son, the beloved with you, I am well pleased. That is the prelude to this shot out into darkness. And it feels like a mixed signal. And yet, if you read the rest of the book, you realize that Jesus does not spend his ministry in the halls of privilege and in the comfort and power. He's down with us in the reality of our lives, in the reality of human suffering and trial. So my second point is actually that being a beloved child of God does not mean a life lived outside the wilderness. It does not mean a life free of suffering. God is not here to lead you around the wilderness, but to be your strength right in the middle of it. Indeed, that is where God is so often found. 
And you don't actually have to be a very spiritual person to know this is true. Just, just talk to people about their lives. The wilderness experience tends to be the making of a person. It's the suffering, it's the, the terrible, the tragedy that befell you that allows you to have compassion for other people. It's the, the difficulty, the, 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 the long period of wandering that gives you compassion, that gives you patience, that gives you love, that gives you purpose, in fact. I don't mean to bless hardship or adversity, but we have to acknowledge that the wilderness experience of our lives often proved to be the pathway to joy, peace, meaning, and hope. Why is that? Why, wh what's going on there? Well, it's partly because you gain things in the wilderness. You learn things that you simply cannot learn elsewhere. The phrase, the, the, the great, uh, it's not a cliche, the great truism that you don't realize God is all you need until God is all you have is something you can only learn in the wilderness. There's a very dramatic illustration of this in the 1956 Japanese film, Redbeard, directed by Akira Kurosawa. Stick with me. Redbeard tracks the work of a wise old doctor in a small town in Japan. His name is Redbeard. He runs a hospital for the poor and disenfranchised, and he's, we watch as he's very tireless in his vocation. He's an amazing doctor. Well, one day he receives a call about a little girl who is sick and living in a very um, desolate situation. When he arrives at her place of residence, a gang of thugs attempt to stop him from taking the girl to the hospital. You see, she's valuable to them, and they don't think she'll be returned to their care if she's removed from this terrible situation. She's essentially their slave, their servant. So the leader of the group approaches dear old Redbeard and asks him to step outside so that they can discuss the matter in private. And so Redbeard gets up. He walks out into the middle of the courtyard where he is promptly attacked by all these men. But this is a Japanese movie. So in a series of deft and sudden movements, he beats up the entire gang using a combination of judo, kung fu, and chiropractic stuff, right? <laughs> he dislocates the shoulders and the knees and displaces Adam's apples and whatnot. So soon, the ground is strewn with these moaning men. But then he calls his assistant and makes an enigmatic statement. He says, these men have been injured. They need help. Let us treat them before we head back to the hospital with the little girl. And the two of them proceed to treat each of the ailing men. The wounded flinch as Redbeard approaches them, but then he pops their shoulders back into place. He realigns their sternums, and suddenly they find they can breathe again. And the very unsettling idea that Kurosawa is putting forward is the same idea that Mark is putting forward and that God is illustrating in this early assignment, this first assignment of Christ in the wilderness, is that sometimes God may just have to beat you up in order to then heal you. It's an extreme method 
and one that would only ever be called for in the most stubborn and stuck situations, and yet perhaps that is who we are. Those who resist healing, those who know what's good for us and do the opposite. Perhaps there's a place in your own life where you feel not only in the wilderness, but you feel stuck there. You seem to have sometimes feel like maybe you've even chosen to be there, but you can't get out. Well, I wonder too then, if you are not in the midst of some kind of dislocation or upheaval, Maybe you're in the midst of an adjustment that you did not choose for yourself, caught in an in-between phase. Well, if you are, I hope you will be open to the idea that your circumstances are not simply the needless machinations of a fickle world. You haven't been brought into the wilderness to be punished or to be tested. You have been brought there to be formed and redeemed. In fact, the pain you are experiencing may be the meddlesome work of the Holy Spirit in your life, the birth pangs of something new and something good. Because you see, as ubiquitous and omnipresent as the wilderness in our lives, the Bible tells us, and this passage teaches us, that it is not our final condition. Fernando Sabino It's the Brazilian writer who actually coined that beautiful line that is sometimes attributed to Oscar Wilde or John Lennon. Thank you, Internet. But he wrote it, a Brazilian writer, writing about his father. He said, perhaps the best thing I can remember is what he said to me one day when he found me in the grip of a mental affliction. My son, everything works out in the end. And if it didn't, it's because it hasn't come to an end yet. You see, Jesus hears this blessing, you are my son, the beloved with whom I'm well pleased. He hears it one other time. We heard about it a few weeks ago. He hears it on the Mount of Transfiguration. Just before he is propelled, he is shot, he is driven out into an even darker situation. He's sent to Jerusalem to suffer and to die and to be beaten up such that the world may find healing and redemption and deliverance from its wilderness condition. And by the world, I'm not speaking abstractly. I'm talking about myself, and I'm talking about you. Amen.